Hello and welcome to the Protect Your Peace podcast. I'm your host, Najee Robbins, and today I am continuing to explore what restorative yoga is. In this part two episode, I will be covering what I consider to be the three learning curves of this style of practice. I think there is something to learn or spark your curiosity or deepen your exploration with rest, whether you are familiar with restorative yoga or not. So grab some hydration, get into a cozy environment, and let's get started. Before I dive into the learning curves, let's do a little recap of part one. So last episode, I went over what restorative yoga is from a really practical perspective. There are plenty of definitions for restorative yoga. One of the ways that I like to think about it is it's a practice and approach to asana or yoga postures in which we're using props to support the body in positions of comfort and ease, hopefully to facilitate a sense of relaxation and to support that state of rest arising in the body. Now, we don't simply stop, drop, and relax. Hopefully, we've learned that at this point in the season. And so in restorative yoga, we are intentionally creating the conditions for the state of relaxation to arise. That relaxation is happening in response to the right conditions. And so I talked about how the conditions within the context of restorative yoga and certainly beyond restorative yoga that we can think of for relaxation are quiet, still, dark, and warm, all to the degree that actually feels supportive for you. So remember, I talked about each of these conditions for relaxation almost being on on a dimmer switch. And so they are subjective, the ways in which we include them in our practice. Now, these conditions of quiet, still, dark, and warm all sit within the broader context of the fact that we need to feel safe and supported in order to relax as well. And then I shared about what you can expect during a restorative yoga class from, again, a really practical perspective, which in short is in a class, you can expect to have time to set up your props for each shape to create that rest nest of support in every posture. Over the course of class, you'll be exploring fewer postures overall and more time in each one of them. Now, a friendly reminder that if you would like to try a guided restorative yoga practice, I do have a few classes available on my website. You simply need to sign up for my newsletter and then you'll get a link to access them in the welcome email that you receive. And in every sequential newsletter, there's always a link to find your way back to these practices. So you can always find a link to sign up for the newsletter in the show notes or at the bottom of any page on my website, which is protectyourpeace.yoga. So www.protectyourpeace.yoga. So restorative yoga is a practice in which there is lots of space for stillness to really settle in. Now, why is that important when it comes to relaxation? It's important because it takes time 
to physiologically transition into relaxation. For the average person, it can take about 15 minutes. And so in restorative yoga, we are, again, creating the conditions for that state, that relaxation response to occur. And then we're allowing time for the body to actually respond with that sense of relaxation. It's not always going to be this instantaneous response, right? So we need to allow time for the body to transition towards or into that more relaxed place for that response of relaxation to actually occur. Now, all of that sounds really nice, right? We create the conditions. We have the relaxation response. Simple. And for all intents and purposes, it is. That said, it doesn't necessarily mean that there aren't things that you're going to encounter or need to learn along the way. And so over the next couple of episodes, I want to dig into what I consider to be the three main learning curves of restorative yoga, the things that you initially or maybe throughout the journey of your practice with restorative yoga, you may encounter. So those three main learning curves to me are props, learning to center comfort, and maneuvering through or encountering the now what. There are elements within each one of these learning curves, particularly those last two, that go beyond restorative yoga, which is why I really think that whether you practice restorative yoga or not, there are things to ponder and to spark your curiosity throughout these episodes about restorative yoga. So let's get started with props. Remember that this is a style of practice meant to facilitate relaxation and ease in the body through physical support. And the purpose of supporting the body in each posture in the way that we do is to help facilitate a sense of effortlessness and comfort in the body. And so how do we provide that physical support? Through props, through cozy items. So if you think of restorative yoga for a moment as like an approach to postures, an approach to asanas, then know we are always approaching the postures or the asanas with the intention of support and comfort centrally in mind. Because there are other styles of practice where you incorporate props in a way that can kind of up the ante a little bit, right? It might make things more challenging. It might help support one area of the body so that you can focus a bit more on engaging or stretching other areas of the body, which is not what we are exploring in this style of practice. Remember, in restorative yoga, we don't want to feel like we have to hold up parts of the body through engaging or tensing in the postures, nor do we want the sensation of stretch in the postures. And if it is there, we definitely don't want it to feel like a predominant element or sensation that we're experiencing. So in a restorative yoga context, if 
any of those things, the feeling of kind of having to hold yourself up or engaging or that sensation of stretch, if those things feel at the forefront of the experience and the pose, then that's information coming up from the body, a request, if you will, to adjust something. It's the body letting you know in the restorative yoga context, you need a bit more support. Something needs to be shifted. So that might mean adding or subtracting a prop or adjusting the position of the body and or the props or your cozy items. And I think of that as like one of the biggest things that you have to kind of wrap yourself around when it comes to this style of practice. This, I think, is one of the key elements that distinguishes restorative yoga from other styles of practice that may be similar in nature. And it's a distinction, I think, that can get kind of lost sometimes. So I love the way that Gracie in that first training framed props. She would say, props work so that you don't have to. Props are the literal tangible items you are incorporating to support your physical body during practice, to help your body feel more comfortable during practice so that it doesn't have to hold itself up or stretch in the postures. And I would layer in so that it can feel that tactile sense of support. So that can be as simple as having a blanket underneath the body. It's not technically holding up the body to a large extent, but it is giving that little bit of cushion, that little bit of like comfortable tactile feedback that does help the body feel potentially more supported and more comfortable in the poses. Now, this is really important. Not just because it can feel nice to have a blanket under your body or nice to feel like your head is being snuggled by a pillow or a blanket, but because physiologically, feeling physically supported and comfortable, the kind of absence of having to do a lot of sensory work in the body, helps to initiate a physiological response in your body. When you feel physically supported on the most literal, tangible, physical level in your body, it can help elicit a response of relaxation. And the longer that you spend in that space, in that state, the more time and space you're offering your system to rest. Because if your body does not feel comfortable or supported, it's like a barrier to relaxation because there's a certain level of alertness and awareness that has to be maintained between your body and kind of the external world. And props is, props are (laughs) one of the the tangible ways in which you are removing that barrier or you can think of it as in a way alleviating your body of that additional work, that additional load. They're one of the ways in which you can show your body, hey, you don't have to stay alert in this way right now. So for example, if we think of our sense of sight, 
If you have a sense of sight, then your eyes are working all day long to take in information. Even if you are not cognizant of it or constantly aware of just how much information you're taking in. And so closing your eyes, dimming the lights, covering your eyes, or simply practicing or putting yourself in a less visually stimulating environment while in a restorative yoga pose removes something that may kind of pull you or distract your system from making its way in the direction of that place of relaxation. You are removing the work or the load on your system. It's one less element for your system to process. And once you support an area of the body, the less work your system has to do to keep track of where it is in space, whether or not it needs something, there's less going on. So Think of that beautiful, brilliant noggin of yours, for example. Your body is constantly keeping track of where your head is at in space. It's orienting you to gravity. It's supporting your sense of equilibrium. Not to mention the fact that it houses a very important organ, which is your brain, right? So simply supporting this area of your body, supporting the head and neck with a blanket or a pillow, can feel very soothing, So it doesn't take much to start to feel that sense of comfort or support on a physical level in the body, right? Props during restorative yoga typically include lots of blankets, (laughs) which can be throw blankets or in studio, you'll often see tightly woven Mexican blankets, It usually will include a bolster or two, maybe pillows, maybe blocks, a strap. If you're at home, it might include couch cushions, the side of your bed or a chair, side of the couch. It's not so much about having a specific bolster or a specific type of blanket when you practice. As much as it is about, I think, learning how you need to position your body and how you need to position what you have on hand in order to feel comfortable and supported. And I'd also say that the the firmness or like the tactile physical sensation of the item that you have and how to use it in a way that helps you feel supported and comfortable is ultimately what's most important. I think part of what can be nice about bolsters or the woven Mexican blankets is the consistency of those items. You're usually using a lot of blankets. So if all of your blankets are the same, there can be a bit more ease in how you position them because you don't have to think about like, oh, this blanket feels a little bit different. And so I know that I'm going to have to position it differently or roll it differently or fold it differently. And This is one of the reasons why I consider props to be one of those two learning curves in restorative yoga is because just practically speaking, learning how to position your props can take practice and exploration, takes trial and error. So learning what exactly you need or want prop wise to feel physically supported, to feel comfortable in each pose takes time and figuring out. And not necessarily just time in terms of the frequency with which you revisit the pose, how many times you explore the pose, but also the time that you spend in the pose. 
Remember, it takes the average person about 15 minutes to physiologically shift into a state of relaxation. And so this is one of the main reasons why it's not unusual to spend that length of time in a restorative yoga posture. And in order to spend that length of time there, you have to feel comfortable. And sometimes you might find that you set your props up in such a way that they felt good for the first like couple of minutes, but then by kind of minute 10, you start to feel a little funky and like something isn't quite as supportive as you thought it was. So learning to set your props up in a way that supports you for the length of time that you'll be in the posture takes a bit of figuring out and adjusting, just like logistically speaking. And I also think it takes continuing to wrap yourself around centering comfort in your practice and knowing that you don't need to tolerate discomfort. You don't need to endure something that just feels okay in the pose. The other reason I consider props to be one of the learning curves is because support is subjective. There's a thousand different ways that I could instruct you to situate your blanket. It's ultimately going to be up to your kind of embodied and sensory experience to determine what really feels comfortable for you. Just like when I was talking about the conditions for relaxation, all of those things are like they're on a dimmer switch. It's like a a gradient. It's not all one thing or the other thing. You've kind of got to attune to what feels best for you. So the degree of support, the degree of safety or time that you need to feel relaxed can shift day to day. And part of what the practice of restorative yoga or any intentional rest practice supports you in getting really, really familiar with, I think, is the language of your body. When you place the bolster here, when you place the blanket here or support your head in this way and take the time to really notice what sensations arise, what's the feedback in the body or even what sensations are absent, what is that communicating to you about how you're feeling. I think that Judith Lassiter has a really great way of framing postures, asanas, in general. This kind of goes outside of restorative yoga context as well, where she describes the asana, the posture, as a question, not the answer. And so every time you position yourself, it's like you're asking your body a question. And I think in restorative yoga, when you position and you set it up, or you layer in a prop, or you remove it, or you adjust, the question is, does this feel supported? How does this feel in my body? Does this feel comfortable? And you are awaiting that response. And because the body's main form of communication is not verbal, that response is going to come in the form of sensation. It's going to come in the form of that body language. And so this is a practice that can support you in really attuning to what helps 
you feel supported? What helps you feel more relaxed and comfortable in your body? And that is a huge part of what I think can accompany you outside of the poses, off the mat. Remember, the more you practice something, the more accessible it can become. The more you practice offering your attention to what helps you feel supported, to what it feels like in your body when it's comfortable or more at ease, the more available I think that awareness can feel outside of the posture as well. And so one of the kind of practical things that I suggest when it comes to restorative yoga is finding a pose that you enjoy and sticking with it for a while. So typically when you take a class, you're going to do more than one pose. Though in restorative, you could quite literally simply do one posture. But usually you're going to do more than one pose. And so perhaps you identify which shape felt the most like, hmm, like that felt really great in my body or something close to that. And in your home practice, you stick with that for a while. You really learn what props you like in it, how you prefer for them to be positioned, how you can use the items from your home to make it feel as comfortable as possible, where in your body you know you need more support. So you're removing what's getting in the way of relaxation, what's getting in the way of rest. And with props, we're starting on a very tangible, physical level. So the way we approach the posture, the way we approach asana and restorative yoga, you can think of it as a space where we are essentially removing as many barriers as we can on a physical level between you and feeling comfortable and supported in the pose in your body. How can the props help bring you closer to ease and relaxation? And maybe even discovering and becoming more intimately familiar with the more subtle barriers that may exist once you address the physical ones. The ones that don't have to do with the position of your leg or a blanket. The second learning curve is all about centering comfort. The quote unquote challenge in restorative yoga does not lie in sweating and endurance. It doesn't lie in developing or leaning into your capacity to maintain a steady breath while you're lunging deeply or holding the top of a push-up. And I think that we are so accustomed to a certain level of discomfort and dis-ease during practice that if we're not doing those things, if we're not experiencing that, or if we find our way into an approach to asana that's centering comfort and support, it can feel a lot of different things. It can feel challenging sometimes in a different way. And I'll say this, I think that there is something to be learned about a certain level of intensity or discomfort or sensation 
in one's practice. There is something to be said about developing the import or developing the capacity for discomfort, developing the skill that it requires to come back to your breath when you're experiencing something that's challenging or to stay present in your body while you're experiencing intensity, right? That translates to the difficult conversations maybe that we're a part of, the difficult seasons in our lives, and so much more. However, I think that this sort of message of equating practice with a certain level of discomfort or a certain intensity exists or rather I think what I'm trying to say is that the focus of developing your capacity for discomfort and kind of finding your edge and being able to breathe there um, and how that's important it exists so deeply I think in in modern yoga culture, culture in general, one could argue, that in some ways, I think we've kind of missed the point. Again, we're so accustomed to equating practice with sweating, with stretching, with feeling physically challenged, that if those things are not included, if those things are not a part of our practice, then sometimes we don't think of it as a worthwhile practice. We don't feel like we're practicing. We have to be doing something. That it's not a practice, it's not worth our time if we're not feeling our muscles shake. It isn't a good practice if we're not able to kind of meet our edge each time or find our way into variations of postures that we think are the ideal. And the asana or the postures are one sliver of a pie. They're like one branch of an entire tree that makes up the practices of yoga. It is about practice. It's not about perfection. It's about revisiting and learning. And even in practices where there is more stillness, I'll even say such as meditation. I think one of the biggest barriers is how we define doing the thing, how we define our practice, can be so confined to a specific definition that we sort of miss part of the overarching point that what it is we experience on our mats is something that can translate to all of the other time that you spend off of your mat to how you move through the world and move through your life. And one of the things that Judith Lasseter said during training was that yoga is not in the postures. It's not about the posture. She said two things about postures that I'll share. First thing is yoga is not in the postures. It's in the footprints that they leave behind. It's in the impression, the residue that it leaves behind in your system. And I remember hearing her describe Shavasana, that posture where you're often, you know, lying on your back, the arms extended. Of course, it's a little different and restorative. You're in that cocoon. 
But she describes Shavasana as the ultimate act of ahimsa, which means non-harm, non-violence. It's one of the central tenets, one of the central practices within yoga. Because when you continue on about your day after Shavasana, especially within the context of restorative yoga, you're in that supported, reclined pose for 20 minutes, 30 minutes. When you continue on about your day, when you interact with others, after that practice, after that experience of deep rest, of relaxation, you show up differently. It directly impacts the way that you show up in the world with the people around you, with yourself. And the second thing that I remember her saying about yoga postures, about the asanas, is that the asana is the question, not the answer. And so when you set yourself up in a posture, when you approach a shape, it's like you're asking your body, your system, a question. And I think in restorative, one of those questions is, you know, how does this feel in the body? And you've kind of got to await the response, which is not your body necessarily saying something verbal. It's going to come through in the sensations that arise or sometimes the sensations that are absent. Of like, ah, this doesn't hurt right now. Or this part of my body feels more at ease. And you're paying attention to that response. You know, most of the time when I take a yoga class, an asana-based class, even a more relaxing and, and nourishing style, there is a focus on or an element of, of exerting in some way, of pushing oneself in some way. You know, it could be that the room is hot or there's a request to kind of explore your edge or create more sensation or, again, like build endurance and to build capacity and to be able to breathe there. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. I think two things about that. Part of what I think that environment hopefully can help us learn or that kind of type or approach to practice can help us learn is discernment. That more is not always more. Just because you can does not mean necessarily that you should or that it's ultimately what's best for your body or your practice that day. And so exercising your agency and choice in where you pause in a posture and the degree of sensation you create in a shape based on how you approach it and where and again really being in conversation with your body in these postures and listening to the response right if we continue with that sort of judith framework of the asana the posture is the question i think part of where we build discernment of where it is and how we approach the posture is in really offering our attention to those responses and starting to get really attuned to those responses in the body so that we can discern 
okay, if there is space for me to lunge deeper or to hold this push-up for longer, is that what I need? Is that what supports my body and my practice today? And I also think, like I said, that there's a lot that can be learned by developing one's capacity for discomfort, developing your capacity to stay aware of your breath, to maintain a steady breath when you're experiencing discomfort or something challenging, to maintain a sense of presence in your body, awareness of your body when you're experiencing a lot. There's a lot of value in sort of in developing that. And I think that there can be a direct connection between your ability to sort of access that skill, that self-awareness, that being in your body, that you practice on your mat in a challenging pose, and then also being able to access that same skill or keep that part of you online in challenging or stressful moments in your life and to be able to discern when you need to pause, when you need to take a beat, right? That's, that's part of, in my opinion, that's part of the point. That it's not getting super deep in your warrior two or holding your plank for however long just for the sake of doing it and building your muscles. Sure, if that's a value to you, cool. I think the larger practice within that is being able to access that same space of presence in moments outside of the posture, off of your mat as well, to shift and shape the way that you move through the world. And I think that, again, sometimes we miss that point. I think that that intensity is so frequently the focus of so many classes that it's why it can feel like such a big shift to set your body up in such a way and support your body in such a way in postures that your body doesn't have to work physically, that it doesn't have to exert physically, that that's not what's being centered in the style of restorative yoga. That's not what you're being asked to explore in the practice of restorative yoga. Are there spaces where you can explore that and approaches to asana where you can explore that? Absolutely. And I would argue that there are certain seasons of our lives or that certain aspects of our practice would be better fortified by also developing one's capacity for comfort and for ease. The intensity in restorative yoga, that's not the epicenter. That's not the ask. We are exploring a state of non-doing, which is in so many ways the antithesis of how we are asked and pushed to move through most of our day-to-day, right? In restorative yoga, you're being asked to remove The barriers between you and ease in your body, between you and relaxation. And in such a way that's very literal, right? In the form of supporting your body with props, in the form of the way that you approach and position your body in the posture, and in really taking your time to cater to yourself, 
to your setup, to your comfort. It's not like we pop into a pose, we're there for a couple breaths, and then we move on to the next one. Part of the time and the shape is, again, asking the question. You set up your props, you set up yourself, and then you await the response in your body. What feels more comfortable? What could feel more supported? What might need to be shifted or adjusted? Right? It's not just an offhanded cue telling you to relax. We're not simply verbally asking ourselves to relax. You are exploring what it feels like to set your body up in a posture in such a way that creates the conditions for relaxation and for the state of rest to naturally arise. That is very different than what we are often asked to do in most styles of practice, in most approaches to asana, or to our bodies in general. In most approaches to our body, in most practices that include or involve any degree of kind of physicality, that's not often what we're being asked to do. And I think that when you go into a restorative yoga practice or a class with that in mind, that the focus is moving towards comfort in the body, that in this space for this hour or this 90 minutes or this 30 minutes, my focus is how can I feel comforted and supported? That influences and impacts the way that you approach each shape that's offered to you. If you have that in your mind, that part of doing the pose or doing the practice is feeling the sensation of stretch, is feeling a lot of sensation in your body, is sweating, what have you, then it's going to feel very different, perhaps among other things, to be asked to do what might feel like the opposite, to decenter these elements, to set yourself up in a way where that's not the central part of your experience. And I think that that is an important distinction of what makes the practice of restorative yoga distinct, I think that that is something that can get lost and muddled. And I kind of harp on this distinction because I think that sometimes in the absence of that clarity, in the absence of that distinction of how we are approaching this practice, we can miss or lose what it is we can really experience in the practice of restorative yoga in this approach to asana, right? In a position where we truly feel supported and comfortable in the body, there is something that happens. There is something that shifts when you experience comfort in your body. When you experience support in your body and a sense of safety in your body. You know, one of the sentiments that really still sticks with me from that first restorative training I took with Gracie is something she said on the first day, I think during practice, she said, most people do not realize how comfortable they can actually feel. 
And there's something distinct and specific about approaching every single asana with that centrally in mind. Comfort. Support. And one may not realize just how much impact it can have to feel a blanket cradle your head as you lie on your back in Shavasana or a bolster under your knees until you feel it. Until you realize like, oh, yeah, like my head felt fine. You know, the back of my head felt fine simply on the mat. But I, I didn't know how much I needed this. I think that is one of the biggest things that I felt in my initial experiences with restorative yoga was like, oh, I didn't realize not even necessarily how deeply uncomfortable I was, but how different it feels to feel comforted and supported in this shape, in this way. And so sometimes it's not until you feel that tangible support that you realize just how much more comfortable you can feel. And so it can be really normal as you first start to practice restorative yoga or explore this approach to postures to settle for feeling fine in a pose, right? For example, you have that blanket underneath your head as you lie on your back and there's a lump in it or the position of your arms is creating a sensation in your shoulder that's kind of like keeping you a little alert, but it's not that bad. And you don't adjust it. You don't shift it because it it feels fine. It's good enough, right? You don't grab that other prop. Or sometimes we really want to get the pose like right, whatever our definition of right is. Maybe we're so used to in a class there being so many specific cues about how you're supposed to approach the pose. Or we're so used to having some sort of visual representation of what the posture is quote unquote supposed to look like that we don't adjust things. Or we feel like we have to stop adjusting the body or the position of the props as soon as the teacher stops talking and it gets quiet. Or we feel like we have to perform relaxation. Instead of actually shifting and doing what we need to do to actually feel relaxed. And so we settle for it feeling fine. But I'll tell you this. Within this context, this context of restorative yoga, there is a physiological disadvantage to settling for good enough or fine. Because that fineness... (laughs) That not adjusting the blanket, that not continuing to shift after the teacher has stopped talking, that not, you know, hearing all the cues and the suggestions, and then maybe choosing an approach that goes outside of whatever the teacher has offered, that's settling for fine, keeps part of your body alert in a way that kind of reduces the depth of the ease that you can feel, the relaxation that you can feel. When your body does not feel comfortable or supported, there's a barrier between you and relaxation. It doesn't build your endurance to to not be as comfortable as you can be in a pose. 
It's like a snag in a sweater. And especially within the context of restorative yoga, where we're in these shapes for a while, sometimes that lump in the blanket that's like, yeah, that's okay. I can deal with that, that you feel within the first couple of minutes. By minute 10, by minute 15, by minute 20, that can arise to the very center part of your awareness. Suddenly what felt kind of okay in the beginning is the thing that's keeping you from really dropping into that place of ease in the end. And can you like will yourself to sort of relax-ish? Sure. I guess. But why? Why? Restorative yoga is not a practice of of will or tight grip. It's a practice of letting go. It's like what I said earlier about lifting that weight off of your system. It's something that Judith says that restorative yoga is a practice that alleviates the weight on your nervous system. And I think that that can be part of where this practice, quote unquote, challenges you. It's part of why I consider it a learning curve. Why isn't it worth it to provide your body with the support that it needs to feel more at ease? To feel truly comfortable and supported and to explore what that means for your body, what conditions need to exist in order for you to feel that way physically. And it's so normal for there to be what feels like a learning curve to that. For many of us, it has been so long since we've actually felt physically supported, emotionally, mentally supported in all of the ways. Like right now, if I think about it is... The year 2022, there is so much that we have collectively been through in the last couple of years that many of us have been through for the last several generations and that we continue to move through existing in such violent and harmful and destructive systems that sort of keep us in a particular state of alertness, in a particular heightened place, that to be in a space or to be in a practice where we are being asked to explore something that feels so opposite to the state that we've been in for so long It can feel in some ways difficult, understandably so. It can feel like I don't even know what comfort is right now until you start to feel it and sort of reacquaint yourself with what it feels like to feel comfortable and supported in a shape. And we go, ah, that 
that's what comfort feels like. That's what's felt so far away for so long. And I think that there's something that can be incredibly powerful about such a seemingly simple approach or practice in which at the center, part of it is feeling physically comfortable, creating the support and the scaffolding to help you feel physically supported and comfortable because that has a way of permeating, of traveling beyond just how you feel physically. All right, friends, this is where I leave you today. Next episode, I'll share a bit more about comfort and dig into the third learning curve of restorative yoga. As always, you can find any resources or folks mentioned during this episode in the show notes. And if you're looking to further support my work, here are four simple ways to do so. Number one, sign up for my newsletter if you haven't already. This is where you can access the on-demand practices, the restorative yoga classes I was mentioning, get a heads up about my monthly teaching schedule, workshops, curated playlists, really anything I'm putting out into the world. Number two, subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening if you'd like to stay in the loop about future episodes. You can also leave a rating and a review as well. This really does help. Number three, if you have the financial resources to do so, then you can always leave me a tip at protectyourpeace.yoga backslash support. And last but not least, if there was something about today's episode that you connected with, share it with a friend via link or conversation. This is probably one of the best ways to support this podcast and my work in general is to share it with the people in your life who you think would appreciate it and benefit from it. And then you can always tell me about your conversations and discoveries. This podcast really is a collaborative effort with all of you. So you can always send me a message, an email, a voice note with questions, curiosities, stories that come up. Between now and next episode, know that I am sending you so much support, so much encouragement to nourish yourself, whether that is in the form of the basics like food and hydration and sleep, or in basics plus like environments that feel nourishing for you, relationships and people that feel nourishing to be around lean into where you can find a little bit more comfort, a little bit more support in your day. Thank you again for listening to this episode and I will see you back here for part three soon.